Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit us on occultconfessions.com or... And click on donate. And click on donate to to keep keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Constantine I, or Constantine the Great, was the first Christian emperor of Rome and established Christianity as a state religion for the first time. The myth of Constantine was that he had been converted following a vision of a cross on a battlefield. Before that moment, he knew little to nothing of Christianity and had to ask around to figure out which god had blessed his endeavors. Constantine certainly knew about Christianity and was already well on his way to a conversion for personal and political reasons before ascending to the throne. He was also a fan of the Christians and saw value in aligning his reign with their god. But... His concept of the Christian god may have been based, at least in part, on the Syrian worship of a rock that fell out of the sky. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson, Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, feeling at this moment the weight of four years of podcasting, which we have completed, and the weight of a fifth year of podcasting about to uh, begin, or, or rather, that has begun just moments ago. Savannah Verrett is with me this day. Hello. Also feeling that weight. Sister of the 84th degree, Savannah has been with me since day one, when we were recording in a library on equipment that mangled our audio so badly, we had to start the whole thing over again. <laughs> and then we didn't like it even when we recorded it again, so then we did it again. <laughs> yeah, we continue so- to redo all of our episodes, yeah. Savannah, I guess, represents the old guard here on uh, on this this day of new beginnings. And representing the new guard, we have two of my current students here at Chesapeake College joining the podcast for the first time. Uh, we've got Evangeline Olson, also known Hello. as Boxy. That <laughs> is I. <laughs> I want to be clear not not Foxy, but Boxy. Not because of anything other than the fact that she can uh, haul a lot of boxes. Correct. All right. Yeah, nothing to add there. Yeah. She works for uh she works for we can't name a brand here, but she works for one of them places that delivers your stuff. Uh and uh someone who works for a retail outlet. That's that's uh Madeline Wagner. Why hello. Uh Maddie. If if yes. I may. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so uh Maddie Evangeline, uh what's up? Welcome to the show. How's it feel? It's so good to be here. I'm so honored to be a part of this. Boxy, yeah, you were you were a fan before. You listened to the show yeah. before, yeah. I've always I've always loved listening to it, and so it's really cool to be here. Absolutely, here yeah, you with you guys, it's awesome. Yeah, you guys sound so diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> this show sucks. I can't believe I have to do this. I hope I get an A. <laughs> I volunteered, okay. <laughs> I hope this cult uh, comes with daiquiris. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's pledge it out. Ladies, you can sit out and listen. I mean, you're all ladies, uh, new ladies. You can sit out and listen if you feel comfortable. But if you feel like you want to give it a go, you're welcome to try. We, the members of the the Secret Secret Order Order of of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. it. All right, Maddie, you listen too, huh? A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Hey, I, I think I did pretty good. From just yeah, I heard you. I heard you in there. 
Just memory-based. Not too bad. Not too shabby. <laughs> well, you know, you listen to us four or five times, you're going to start to get the gist. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's what's going on this year, friends. Before we get into this whole Constantine stuff, uh, to begin our very first series, we are concerned with uh, pagans and persecution. Hooey! What a good time. Uh, specifically, I'm asking the question, a question that uh, fascinates me, and I think this is interesting to all of us. What happened to all them pagans? Now, I use the word pagan advisedly here because uh, the concept of a pagan didn't exist until the Christians. They invented the notion of pagan to identify all religions, more or less other than Judaism and maybe Islam, uh, that are not Christian. So pagan just became a catch-all for the religions that you know, preceded Christianity or existed at the same time period. Uh, and we've used the term neo-pagan to capture efforts in the 20th century and, and perhaps even a little bit before to to uh, reinv re reinvigorate, uh, enliven, restore, revive uh, these ancient practices. Uh, so that's what I mean by pagan. It, it's the pagans and their persecution. So how Christianity managed to uh, replace paganism uh, we're going to do that in about seven episodes. We're going to go all over the world. Uh, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to start here in in Rome, which is sort of you know ground zero for this event. Uh, but we're going to make it to the New World and and talk about indigenous people. And uh, we're going to make it over to uh, Scandinavia and, and uh, we're going to make quite a tour. Uh, so I think it's going to be exciting. You guys ready for this? You excited? Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that pagan was like a collection of just everything that wasn't Christianity, basically, so... Yeah, I mean, at that moment. So, you know, we wouldn't call Mormons pagans, for example. Although Mormons identify as Christian. Uh, let me think. We wouldn't call, I don't like, spiritualists, you know, or, or theosophists no, yeah. pagans, necessarily. I guess I didn't understand that that was, like, what it used to be, because I, I do understand it now as its own, like, little thing, separate thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it was everybody. So, you know, when we think about the neo-pagans, you know, the Wiccans and all that sort of stuff, there's this idea that they're revel of reviving ancient Celtic traditions or or whatever. So that's why they're neo-pagan, because they're going back to that, that era that, of the birth of Christianity when we took all the religions that existed and put them in one bucket and said, those are the pagans. Those pagans. Those dirty pagans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we're starting with Constantine. I, I mean, I feel like we should say a couple more words about year five here. It's exciting. I'm excited. I'm still excited. I still, you know, love to put on my podcasting pants and, and get into this. And I, I, I'll tell you, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I, I remain fascinated by the subjects that we talk about on this show. And I'm not just saying that because I pick them. I don't, I, I pick them in a way, but. You guys, you know, our listeners are the ones really responsible for driving a lot of the choices that I'm making increasingly because, you know, there's a point at which I've satisfied a lot of my own personal interests on this show. We're over 100 some 20 episodes in, I don't know, a bunch. <laughs> seven That's and crazy. seven. Yeah, right. So I'm not necessarily doing all the choosing. Y'all out there in confessor land help us figure out what we want to talk about by telling us, hey, did you, could you do this? Have you done an episode on that? I'd like to hear about this. And once I start digging into the topics you suggest, often I'll go off in some of my own directions, and then we start seeing seasons like the one you're about to hear. Uh, and and the, really the rest of this year is going to be uh, pr pretty well informed by requests from from listeners. Uh, not scattershot because it's not the nature of our show to just do one-off topics very often. We like to do these seasons where we really get dig into a topic, but uh, yeah, uh, it, 
you all are driving now the curiosity, my own curiosity as I as I'm developing this show and, and writing this show. And you know, you're still there. <laughs> Some of you have been with us from the beginning or almost the beginning from that first year. Uh, and we're still bringing in new people all the time. And uh, I'm talking to you on Patreon and I'm talking to you on the interwebs and, and in various different places and Instagrams and social medias. Discord. The Discord, my goodness, has become a, a beautiful, wonderful place to have conversations with people, real conversations. When we talk about social media being toxic, Discord is certainly not that, at least in my opinion. It's a great place, right, Savannah? Yeah, at least ours is. Discord can be toxic, but um, not oh, yeah. ours. Like, it's kind of fun. We actually had Evangeline just join earlier today, and literally the second she joined, somebody was waving at her, being like, "Hi, welcome to the Discord." Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to vouch really for the wide fun. world of the internet, but our corner of the internet that we've managed to, you know, set up shop and and you know, hang out with people has just been wonderful. I I, I can't stop doing this in part because I just love having that community that I can join at any time where I'm talking to people in Denmark and Sweden and, uh, and right around the corner. So thanks. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. We want to thank some specific, uh, patrons and, uh, reviewers this day, but in order to do that, Savannah, I need you to make some sounds that open the order of confessors. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, I'm going to just warn uh, Maddie and, and uh, Evangeline that you're, you're going to be responsible for closing the order of confessors. <laughs> so start I'm thinking ready. about what sounds you'll make. It'd be great if you I... can team up about this. Just think about it. Get your psychic wavelength on. Patrons, we want to welcome Victoria E.M., Robert B., Christopher S., er, Robert, not to be confused with Robert B., John L., Ray F., Cody G., Matthew V, James L, and Dylan B. Wonderful group. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for your patience, too, because we pre-recorded pretty well while I was working on uh, our latest production of uh, The Tempest, and uh, <laughs> so we haven't done patrons in a while. I also want to thank Gabe the Butcher and Mr. Schoidenfraud, Schadenfreud, uh, for, for the pledge bump. Uh, and I want to send a shout out to George from Bristol. Hey, what's up, George? Just Just saying hi. <laughs> reviews now uh from Ch chatrush 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 i'm done the show addresses a wide range of topics and someone with an interest in the occults the paranormal or the downright weird will find hours hours of delightful thought-provoking discussion uh and incredible voice acting how about that Aww. shout out to our voice actors yeah that's awesome uh, some, some, oh boy, you guys are really working on me, reviewers. Some, nit, some, nitianshin, some, some, okay. <laughs> I, I did my best. Yeah, that sounded like gibberish. Uh, tried us on their very first pod, as their very first podcast. We're Somnitriashin's very first podcast ever. What? Oh my God. How did you find us first? And now they're listening to a variety of podcasts. So, uh, I guess, I guess we represented the community well. Uh, <laughs> Odd, odd poet says great show. And Thank uh, you. James 06824 on iTunes says we are thoughtful and well produced. And oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, we love you guys. And there's so much out here, so much content for you all to explore. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here with us listening and, and participating. All right, ladies, 
show us what you got. Close up the order of confessors. I do want to say Maddie and, and Boxy are in my devising class and improvisation class right now, so I think they're they're in the right headspace for this. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> pagan Rome. Let's get started in good old pagan Rome. So for over 300 years, paganism was the state religion of one of the most powerful empires on earth. Again, the term pagan was invented by Christians. Uh, in a Roman context, paganism refers to belief in many divine entities or spirits that are imminent. You know, they're, they're around. We can talk to them. Pagans may or may not believe in a supreme deity, as many Romans did, but they all believe in many supernatural beings who interfere in terrestrial affairs. They tell secrets in the form of oracles and augurs or grant boons or curse us according to our relationship with them. For our purposes, we'll be using the word pagan to refer exclusively to traditions in this mold uh, rooted in Europe, including, of course, Rome. Y'all good on pagan? Got it. <laughs> good. The founder of the ancient Roman religion was the legendary second king of Rome, Numa Pompilius. By legend, uh, or legendary, I mean he may or may not have existed, since the first king was the mythological Romulus. You guys know that, Romulus? That sounds like like rhombus, and now I'm thinking like <laughs> is it he somehow related like, to the rhombus? Yeah, yeah, like the little diamond shape. No, no, no. He, he was the founder of Rome, man. He's but legendary because right? his name is Rom cool. Romulus and oh. Remus. He, oh, they were raised by wolves. Romulus and Remus. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that before. That sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> I have no idea. I've never heard of it. Sounds really cool though. <laughs> Well, we're not talking about that today. The earliest Roman oh, gods <laughs> The earliest Roman gods were impersonal spirits assigned to places, things, and also stages of life. The god of that hill, for example, or of pregnancy, or of hearths. Unlike the Greek pantheon, they didn't have distinct personalities or temples. As the Romans conquered surrounding people, they then adopted their gods into their system, which is how the Greek Jove became the Roman Jupiter, Hermes became Mercury, uh, Aphrodite, Venus, on and on and on. What did Dionysus become? Do you know? Bacchus and Dionysus is the oh. relationship, yeah. Okay. God of wine. I did know Bacchus. I just thought that they were interchangeable, which I guess they kind of are, but I didn't realize it was the Roman version. Uh, Romans made exchanges with their gods for boons or blessings and attempted to correct or cleanse relationships with particular gods when they experienced misfortune. If the god they invoked failed to keep them, they would resort to other gods. What sort of boons are you guys looking for these days? Maddie, what boons are you after? <laughs> I could not tell you. <laughs> you don't want any boons? You're not in a state of needing some boons? Boxy, come on. You want a boon? Um, sure. What would you like? What kind of boon are you after? You're looking for love? Looking for money? Looking for, uh, you know, a nice harvest? I'm looking for a good acting class. It's <laughs> <laughs> not already good. It's already Set great, but, you know, it can always... It can improve. Always be better. It okay, so you're really just... <laughs> No, no, Rob, you're great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could always but be Dionysus better. Could teach you better. That's could teach you better. Oh, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Some passive-aggressive boon requests here. 
No. My, I want the boon of um, stable mental health. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good one. There are a number of gods I think you could ask for that. Dionysus may even be on the list, although he tends really? to. Well, I mean, he's he tends to be associated with instable, unstable mental health. So maybe if mm-hmm. you asked him real nice, he'd, <laughs> he'd cut you some slack. I've devoted my life to theater, Dionysus. Please. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably say, enjoy your instability then. <laughs> That's the gift. Fair enough. That may be the deepest thing I've said on the show in some time. <laughs> the Roman state religion revolved around the performance of public ceremonies supervised by a ranking priest. Detailed rituals had to be carried out exactly according to plan or they would need to be repeated. Rome's priests were led by a Pontifex Maximus, arguably the template for the Catholic Pope. Listen to that, Pontifex Maximus and Pope. Yeah. But unlike... They go start with P. Right. <laughs> the po- but yeah, but people call the Pope the Pontiff. Oh. You ever heard that? that? Yeah. No, I haven't. But unlike Christian priests, Roman priests weren't involved in individual worship. Anyone could approach the altar at any time. Families had their own hall altars where the head of the household served as a priest. Priests also weren't their own separate class, meaning they had there was no priestly class. So you sort of had to have a day job or like something else you did. And you were a priest. You know? Hmm. Interesting. See how easy it is to ask for boons? So you guys don't know what boons you want, but, you know, you can go home and boon later. Maddie, find a boon. (laughs) I'll give you till the end, and then I'll ask again. Separate from the priests, or College of Pontiffs, was the College of Augurs. The job of the augur was to read signs in nature to determine the will of the gods. Oracles, which were Greek, by contrast, heard or channeled the voice of God or some divine intermediary directly. You see the difference? They read signs, whereas the oracles were the direct voice. Yeah, they spoke okay. through, God possessed them and they spoke, you know, on behalf of God. So they had oracles in Rome, uh, but they probably adopted those from the Greeks. The augurs were more like authentically Roman. Augurs weren't specially tuned in, but had special skills interpreting the signs the gods wove into nature to let us know their meaning and intention. Their highest function was to help determine matters of state. Or make military decisions. So, you know, should oh. should uh, should we invade the neighboring college? We would ask the augurs. <laughs> the bird flew into the window. We must attack the neighboring village. I don't know. If the bird flew into the window, Savannah, that might be a sign not to attack. Oh. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it seems pretty bad. No. <laughs> we are that bird flying into the window. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Remember, our mascot is a parrot here, so yeah. <laughs> technically it's a boat but i guess it's a a boat but we don't have like a boat walking around (laughs) i uh, I didn't even know it was a boat for the longest time i heard it from you (laughs) we're the boats boaty mcboatface (laughs) anyhow roman divination grew to include oracles and soothsayers but augurs were only true the only truly roman approach as i said before okay so let's talk about the tetrarchy there's nothing nothing that gets me going quite like a good tetrarchy. You guys ever had a tetrarchy? <laughs> Don't answer that. Some of you are still my students. <laughs> that was naughty. Constantine I, or Constantine the Great, was responsible for putting an end to pagan Rome. Constantine succeeded his father as a Caesar of Rome. At the time of his ascension, 
Rome was ruled by a tetrarchy of four leaders, two senior emperors, one in the east and one in the west, and their designated junior emperors or successors. You got that system? So, so go ahead. There were two main emperors, and then there were two younger people that would succeed them? Yeah, yeah they, like the emperors in training. Okay, but they were considered the rulers still, so there were technically four rulers? Four emperors, yeah, the Tetrarchy. Okay. I gotcha. The Tetrarchy had been created by Diocletian, a junior officer in the army who was suddenly promoted to emperor after the death of Numeri- Numerianus. Numerianus. <laughs> Diocletian, sorry. Numerianus. He probably you don't say anus <laughs> in his name. That's, it, that couldn't be right that people were going around calling him anus. That seems... He was a Caesar. Anyway, Diocletian... <laughs> no, you guys... What, what does it take to amuse you today? Diocletian nominated... You are the one ruining, butchering these people's <laughs> names for laughs. I was going to say, I think you did it on purpose. <laughs> I don't know. I thought so. It was, it was an honest mistake. Uh, maybe that's how you pronounce it. What do I know? <laughs> Viewers, help us. Is it anus or not? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> yes. If there are any ancient Romans listening, please. Below. <laughs> please. <laughs> what, what an amazing email that will be. <laughs> Di- Diocletian nominated Maximian as his junior emperor and then shared the title of Augustus with him, and each of them selected Caesars or junior emperors to serve with them. So we had Augustus one, Augustus two, Caesar one, Caesar two. Oh, they it's, so it's not like um, a family thing. They elect somebody to be their successor. Yeah, it seems like that's basically the system. And, and Augustus and Caesar are a little confusing because those were the names of actual guys. But after those first couple of emperors, everybody just adopted their names. Oh, okay. To be, you know, it's like the title. You are a Caesar. It's like if we called all the presidents um, in the U.S. Washingtons or all the, gotcha. the right. kings in England Arthurs, you know. Okay. Arthur Elizabeth. The second. I don't know. I guess she'd be Guinevere Elizabeth the second. I kind of like that. That style of like you picking the successor versus like it having to be a family thing. Yeah. I mean, they did get screwed a lot, especially the first set of emperors on heredity. Like some of those people were real messed up in the head. So. Yeah. So I guess you would avoid that by. Yes. Picking somebody who's stable. Tiberius, Caligula, some of these people, uh, Nero, like they had some serious issues. So this was the way around it. Although uh, Augustus, or was it Caesar? Caesar chose Augustus, uh, adopted him. So actually it it was a relatively old um, system, but you used to have to adopt your successor and then make him your successor. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Very interesting. Let's see here. Maximian. In theory, Diocletian had shared the title Augustus with Maximian, marking them as equals. In practice, the four emperors were ranked with Diocletian at the top. Diocletian's name was first on edicts issued by the four and on coins and other iconography that he appeared, where he appeared in the power position, followed then by Maximian and then the two lower Caesars. Traditionally, the emperor was endowed with divine power and the emperor was worshipped as a god. Augustus had set this ideology up at the dawn of the empire and also merged the role of Pontifex Maximus 
into emperor, marking himself as the terrestrial and spiritual head of Rome. Henry VIII did something very similar. In order to unite the church and the state, Henry VIII declared himself the leader of the Church of England, while also creating the Church of England. So And killing all of his wives. Uh, that, that was a tangential but related fact, yes. <laughs> minor detail. It's my, my, minor, minor homicides. So <laughs> splitting the Godhead into four would theoretically pose a challenge to the system, except that Diocletian... So again... Just to drive the point home, we were joking about Henry VIII, but essentially we've, when Augustus was said, I am both the emperor and the head of the church, I mean, that kind of works. You know, we can imagine splitting the state up geographically and, and having this successor system, but then how do we split the church up? How do we split the godhead of the emperor up? Um so Diocletian cleverly navigated around the problem. He identified with Jupiter, and Maximian, his second, identified with Jupiter's powerful assistant, Hercules. Ah. Diocletian and Galerius added the name Jovius to their names, and Maximian and Constantius added the name Hercule Herculeus. Sorry. <laughs> so it would it would have been Maximius Maximian Herculeus or Constantius Herculeus. Got me. I, why are they doing this? I'm sorry. Well, I'm because little... they're the head of the church, they're uh, they're sort of deified. Okay. Which works if there's one god, right under the one god system, the highest god, the most powerful Ooh. god. Because even in a pagan world, there's a hierarchy of gods within the Roman sense, mm -hmm. Jove at the top. So now we're going to split it into four pieces. Do we split God into four pieces? Oh, I see. Okay. So they each got to be, or got a got to be a symbol of a different god. The two top guys got to be Jove, and the bottom guys got to be Her Hercules. Oh, so they so instead of splitting it up in the four, they split it in the two. Yeah, which I guess didn't okay. bother them as much. Okay. <laughs> Jupiter was the ruler of heaven, and Hercules was the pacifier of Earth. Because uh, of all them labors he did. Even Constantine briefly adopted the title Herculeus before aligning himself with the Christian god. By identifying themselves as gods, the emperors could frame any question of their rule as not only seditious, but sacrilegious. And the justification for their right to rule was not dependent on the fickle consent of the Senate or the army or any other earthly institution. It came from the gods themselves. So this god thing is pretty important really prevents any dissension in the ranks. You've got a lot of loyalty. If you're God, it's really hard to question you. Uh, yeah, I guess I would say so. <laughs> I mean, when you think about all the weird crap Caligula got away with, in part, this this certainly helps. The deification the emperor says, if he wants to send you all to the shores of, of the British Empire and then have you pick up seashells, <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> This is a lesson we must learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some soldiers certainly felt differently, but there were enough who were like, all right, whatever, if that's what we're doing, <laughs> live to fight another day. Uh, so I, I mentioned Constantius. We should not confuse Constantius with Constantine. Constantius was Constantine's father. Uh, and Constantius had been emperor of the West. His junior emperor, Severus, was deposed and killed by Maxentius. This is where it gets, here comes the Roman politics where people are, you know, always stabbing each other in the back and stuff. 
Maxentius's father was Maximian, co-emperor with Diocletian, but Galerius, formerly the junior emperor and now the big Augustus in the east, was not keen to have Maxentius in the Tetrarchy. Galerius refused to recognize Maxentius as emperor in Rome and so replaced him with Licinius, resulting in a civil war after Galerius's death. Did you follow all that? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I got lost on all the names. Yeah, I mean, you're going to. I, I, it's tough, I think, in a podcast. You need to have like charts and graphs and stuff. Basically, we've yeah, got, visuals. I mean, we, this clean succession thing just fell to crap right around the time of Con Constantine's dad getting in the mix because people didn't like their successors. They didn't like their partners and they're, you know, killing people and replacing them and moving stuff around. Okay. So Maxentius is, is, is on the outs. So his Constantine's dad. No, that's Constantius. Oh, oh, oh no! It was so oh, no, I'm really okay. I gotta know. I believe that his sister was Constantia or something like that, or Constantina oh or something. Like that. <laughs> this is how the Romans were. I mean, we're no different. We like to name our kids after ourselves and stuff. Uh, so, uh, so Maxentius uh, is this guy uh, who Galerius does not want to rule with. So Galerius is the emperor. Uh, where is he? Emperor in the east? Yeah, he's the emperor in the east. And Maxentius is about to succeed to become emperor in the west. And Galerius says, anybody but that guy. So he hmm. sends Constantine, little Constantine, not dad, but the son, and Licinius, also a little guy. He's like, you go kill Maxentius for me. So off okay. they go. So these two, here goes Constantine and Licinius to fight with Maxentius for control of Rome, and they defeat Maxentius. Um, and Constantine says, okay, I'm emperor of the West now. Constantine co-ruled with Licinius after defeating Maxentius at the Battle of Milvian Bridge. And in the fall of 312, Constantine's smaller, lightly armored force moved nimbly against the Roman Emperor Maxentius at Turin. They beat his heavily armored cavalry with clubs until they fell off their heavily armored horses. Picture that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, were they like on the ground beating them? Yes. Yeah. Oh my Wow. Beat the crap out of him because Maxentius, <laughs> like he rolls up with all this heavy armor and Constantine's like, let's just club them off their horses. What are they going to do about it? <laughs> what? They're not moving too quick. So yeah, they clubbed them down. <laughs> they're so heavy in all their armor. Oh my gosh. That's weird. Yeah. And, How? and the horses were armored too. So nobody was moving too quick. So they just easily like they just ran up to him with the clubs and knocked him off. Military genius. <laughs> this gets even worse. At Milvian Bridge, the heavily armored Maxentius toppled into the Tiber, and what happened to him? Well, so he drowned? He drowned, yes. He drowned oh, because he, he was covered in armor, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, no. That's, oh, that's a terrifying death. Yeah, he was unable to climb out of the river. He was essentially weighted down by his own armor. Oh no! God, ooh, I don't oh, like that. Oh, I don't like that visual. Oh. <laughs> it's like a lesson in in anxiety, though, for you. It's his anxiety about getting stabbed killed him. Was what killed him? Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, he essentially his whole army. He was worried about them getting stabbed to death, and he was like, "We're not going to get stabbed this day. We shall wear the heaviest of armors, and I shall and wear he was the heaviest right. of armors." <laughs> they didn't get stabbed that day. No, they, they drowned. Just, 
They got clubbed that day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. And no, wow. Nobody <laughs> bled. Nobody was bleeding and everyone was dead. Uh, if you hit somebody hard enough with a club, they uh, yeah, probably I guess that's, that's true. Just heavily bruised, unconscious people. <laughs> and they drowned in the, in the river because they were riding over a body of water. So the whole wow. thing was it's kind that's of a, crazy. an anxiety fever dream. The legend of the Battle of Milvian Bridge is that Constantine had seen a vision of a cross in the sky. Didn't you mention this to me, Savannah? You, you'd heard that he'd seen crosses? Yeah, I, I remembered this because when Rob was like, we're going to do Constantine next week, my first thought was the fuck, oh, the comic book, <laughs> like the comic uh, book yeah. character. And then when he was like, no, the Roman emperor, I was like, oh, okay, actually, no, I do know that guy. Saw a cross in the sky. Yeah. It, with the cross, apparently, were the words, in this sign, conquer. So that was written with the cross, and he saw this vision in the sky. Um, and the legend tells that he was led by the Christian god to overthrow the tyrant Maxentius. Constantine's men had ridden into battle with the Greek letters for Chuh and Ur, or C-H and R, on their shields. Either for Christ or Krestos, meaning good luck. So you see how that was misunderstood. Some later interpreters were like, oh, uh, it means uh, Christ, but it, it probably just meant good luck. CHR. Oh. So they didn't wear crosses uh, going in the war? Constantine had instructed them to use the symbol based on the vision he'd received from the highest god before the battle, following the tradition of such dreams among, among emperors in battle. His co-emperor Licinius also had a dream in joining him to pray to the supreme god before his victory over Maxinius, so the legend was only partially accurate. Yeah, that's the truth, Savannah. Oh. I mean, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't crosses, it was the CHR that they were supposed oh. to have worn into battle. That's so interesting. That, it's so interesting how the history gets misconstrued like that, too. And and you have to bear in mind that it was just it's just a tradition. Emperors had these dreams of God, and they would speak about them as they went into battle. It's sort of a way of saying God's on my side. Hmm. So because Licinius, who is right alongside him and is also an emperor, is having the exact same experience that the supreme God uh, has requested that he pray for victory before the battle. Um, so there it is. In fact, Constantine had enjoyed a wave of successes going into the battle and was well on his way to a Christian conversion already, and Maxentius was not much of a persecuting tyrant. In fact, Maxentius had opposed the persecution of Christians and banned the practice in contrast with the others in the Tetrarchy. So just to drive this, to make this really clear, Savannah, you know this story because it's such a big, important legend among uh, a certain brand of Christian apologist historian that Constantine was a dirty pagan uh, and he was going to be a dirty pagan as, you know, you know, watching porn and, you know, like drinking beer and stuff. And, uh, and then, and then he had this vision on the battlefield and God led him to victory over this, you know, dirty pagan other guy who was a tyrant and awful and, you know, made people watch porn and drink beer, uh, which the Christian God was not such a fan of. So, you know, so that's the legend. That's the the untruth. Okay. The truth is that before Constantine even showed up to the battlefield, he was coming around to Christianity. He was like, yeah, I probably want to be a Christian. I think that seems pretty good. That's a good idea. 
So nothing huh. about the battle really changed his mind. Interesting. Maxentius was not such an awful guy. He was not, you know, throwing Christians to the lions or to the porn and beer. He was he was letting them just carry on, live and let live. Um, and and that's not just because everyone was cool with Christians at this time period. Others in the Tetrarchy were less cool than Maxentius to Christians. So Constantine actually, you know, not directly but indirectly murdered and drowned a Christian supporter. And only because the other dude, the guy's name who starts with G, just didn't want to work with him. Galerius didn't like Maxentius, probably because Galerius was like, I want to persecute more Christians. And Maxentius was like, can we just be chill, you guys? And they're like, we don't like that chill guy. Kill him. And Constantine was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he seems, he's a nervous, he's too nervous for us. He's both nervous and chill at the same time. We need to do something about him. He can't, he can't make up his mind. So off they went. Next thing you know, everybody's getting clubbed down uh, off the bridge. <laughs> That's how you get a clubbing on a bridge right there. That's a recipe for clubbing. So you see like how the Christian apologist wants to believe a certain version of history, but it doesn't jive with the actual history. Some of our more astute listeners may have noticed that both Constantine and Licinius were fighting two different guys. Okay, so I, I didn't make that absolutely clear, but Constantine was fighting Maxentius, Licinius was fi fighting Maximinus. <laughs> <laughs> of the family of Max. The Maxes. <laughs> the Roman Max clan. You guys know anybody named Max? Not personally no i do you know some impersonally huh? <laughs> <laughs> never mind max goof from the goofy movie <laughs> maybe okay. i know that one max? I, I do know a guy named max all right there's a max out there mad max uh not so mad max kind of cool max <laughs> a couple of ma i i know two maxes for sure so constantine is fighting maxentius in his heavy armor falling into the river uh, and that's in the West. Licentius is fighting Maximinus in the East. This, as far as I can tell, is just a coincidence. Okay, so here's the even weirder thing. <laughs> these guys aren't even related, these Maxes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Oh my god, I thought they were... Oh, okay, that's so weird. Maximinus? Maximinus, yeah. <laughs> For the most part, the similarity in names marks a family, but not in this case. Let me give you all of Constantine. Constantine is the son of Constantius, and his children, Constantine's children, include Constantine II, Constantina, and Constans. Constans. But Constantine wasn't content to share the empire. As I mentioned earlier, he wanted to be the one and only emperor, uniting Rome under, until, under the one and only Christian god. A tetrarchy was fine for polytheism, but monotheism required a sole emperor. One god, one emperor. Or a sole emperor required monotheism. That's another way of looking at it. So this may be a motivation for Constantine turning to the Christian religion, because we've got this divided empire, four separate people... Two guys identifying with Jove, two guys identifying with Hercules. Constantine says, oh, this is too complicated. I want to be the sole ruler. Let's unite this whole thing. And the religion of one god is the best way to do this. In 314, Constantine turned against his co-consul Licentius on the pretext that he was harboring one of Constantine's enemies. A second conflict erupted in 315, ending in an uneasy truce which lasted for a decade until Constantine began pursuing uh, invading Thracians and Goths across the line, separating his half of the kingdom from Licinius's. 
Through 323 and 324, Licinius and Constantine battled, and uh, Licinius eventually lost. Constantine's sister, Constantia, begged for her husband's life to be spared, because, you know, she was married to him, uh, and he was imprisoned in Cethalonica. So that's awkward. He's been fighting his brother-in-law this whole time. After working with his brother-in-law, right? Well, yeah, and marrying his sister to her. So they were on good terms back in the day when they were beating up everybody named Max. <laughs> they ran out of Max's to club. <laughs> <laughs> so they started clubbing each other, yeah. <laughs> it's really on Constantine's initiative, though, is, is the way I read the history, though. Constantine is the one who has ambition. Uh, Licinius may have been all right to just leave things the way they were. Uh, but anyway, sister, the sister, Constantia, uh, begs, for, begs for Licinius's life. Uh, not to be cons- uh, confused with Constantina, who is Constantine's daughter, by the way. So, <laughs> I love it. I love these crazy people. So, <laughs> so, he, so he doesn't kill Licinius, throws him in jail in Thessalonica. That is until he conspired with the Goths to overthrow Constantine and was found out and executed. And that, uh, that is who where- Who did he conspire with? Uh, the Goths, them Goths. The- Goths? Yeah, you know them goth kids. They uh, listen to the the Cure and uh, <laughs> dye their hair black and stuff. See, I thought I misheard you, but I guess I didn't. Susie and the Banshees, you know, the Goths. <laughs> so they were the goths. dressed all in black, got the vampire <laughs> teeth going. Yes. Yeah, so what? What are the Goths? These? Yeah, the, the physicals. <laughs> uh, what are they? In this a tribe, a, a you know, wandering tribe, conquering oh. tribe back in the Roman days. They found him in jail and were like, Anyhow, yeah, we'll help uh, kill him. So yeah, brother-in-law is dead, and we have one emperor, one Constantine. Four emperors are now one. So were they, like, talking to him through the bars of, like, the bars, the, <laughs> like, like, at the hey, window being like, he's like, hey, hey, you, help me. <laughs> hey, you, they're like, oh, we're yeah. my emperor. We'll help now, so you. That it, I know you don't lead a life of crime, but I hate to tell you this, like gangs and mobs and stuff, they continue to run, you know, through prisons. I mean, <laughs> but, I'm not, but you may, like, I'm just wondering how like, this group of wandering people, goths, <laughs> found him. But okay, fine. I, I, I guess I'd put it to you this way, uh, if I had to guess, and, and this is a guess, Licinius is in the prison, but he was once emperor, co-emperor of Rome. So if the Goths wanted to, uh, you know, uh, upset Constantine or perhaps upset Constantine's rule, the one person you want to turn to is the guy who used to be emperor, uh, but is still alive. Okay, okay. Because you hadn't mentioned so, them before, so they sounded like a, like um, a third party unbiased they are, party yeah. that just was well, like that, walking by and he's like hey help and they're like okay <laughs> like, <laughs> <all right. laughs> they're rivals in a way and they're looking for a way in to get what they want so one of the ways to do that is to kick out constantine i got you okay replace him with licinius so you know carrier pigeons something was communicating <laughs> messages between licinius and- okay okay this makes more sense now that's back when birds were real Okay. It was before Reagan killed all of them. Let's talk about the Christians. Speaking of Reagan, as a rule, (laughs) the Tetrarchy had persecuted Christians. Galerius and Maximinus both persecuted Christians. It was an important part of their brand. Diocletian was also a fan of Christian persecution, and Constantine's father, Constantius, didn't do much to stop him. 
Maxentius was the exception to the rule. Remember, he liked him. Although, so not not to be confused with Maximinus, separate Maxes. <laughs> Screw that guy. <laughs> right? Although the legend of the first Christian emperor lends itself to the idea that Constantine was responsible for ending persecution in Rome, it actually wound up before he took the throne. Maxentius, Constantine's first rival for control of Rome, who, as it turns out, wasn't much of a tyrant after all, had ended persecution of Christians in the West, which prompted Galerius in the East to do the same for risk of looking like the mean emperor. No one wants to be the mean emperor. So before Constantine even came about, his predecessors had already ended the persecution of the Christians. But it's a neater story that Constantine, the convert to Christianity, who turned Rome Christian, was the one to end persecution. In fact, the Romans generally were just done with it. And part of the reason for that is because there were so many damn Christians. It was a very popular religion. Uh, There were still a whole lot of Roman pagans, don't get me wrong, and there were some people blending traditions, which is always common. But there were getting to be so many Christians that you couldn't just like go around persecuting them. It's sort of like... I don't know if we decided we wanted to persecute people who eat at Papa John's. Like, I understand why people would have the impetus to do that, but there's too many of them. <laughs> uh oh, we have some people that look offended in here. <laughs> Maddie likes well, that's Papa y'all... John's. Hey, no, listen, Domino's for... is first, but Papa John's, you gotta, you know. One day I'll get you guys up to the Philly area and you'll taste actual pizza. <laughs> After he had been defeated, Papa John's apparently is sold in Russia. I just found this out. <laughs> oh, okay. So, are they still? Just, never mind. That's a, oh. <laughs> I was like, are they still sold in Russia though? They are. I, I mean, I, I only read the headline, but uh, apparently Papa John's tried to quit selling in Russia, and the franchise owner who owns like 190 of them in Russia was like, "Nope, we're going to keep going." Oh, I see. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Where were we? Maxentius. After he had been defeated by uh, Licinius as he was fleeing east. Oh, no, we're not talking about Maxentius anymore. We're talking about Maximinus. Ugh, that guy. (laughs) So, after Maximinus had been defeated by Licinius, he issued an edict ending persecution of Christians once and for all, before Constantine. And that's Maximinus, who didn't even like Christians in the first place. In order to establish their own brand, Constantine and Licinius decided to establish their empire under the rule of the, quote, highest god, marking the beginning of a period of religious toleration. By choosing the highest god over the traditional gods, Constantine and Licinius marked themselves as forward-thinking progressives. Together, they issued an edict stating that Christians are protected by the highest god, who had aided both of them in their victories, and that all who worship should be treated equally. During his reign, Constantine built shrines to the martyrs uh, and uh, ordered the construction of a church at the tomb of Jesus. I will say briefly that martyrs were a big old thing in ancient Rome. Christians who died penitently praying to God, and they were an important part of why the religion spread. I've mentioned that, I think, before on the show, but I can't say it enough. Without martyrs, it's difficult to conceive of a worldwide Christian religion. They were really good salesmen. It's a horrible thing to say, but people were willing to die for this, and and that was quite persuasive. Anyhow, Uh, so Constantine's building shrines to the martyrs. So in their day, as they were dying, they were winning converts, and then Constantine is, you know, building on the legend of these people who died for their faith. 
This was not only a sign of his piety, but a political maneuver to defang the Christian's politically radical cult of martyrs and align himself against the old persecuting tetrarchy with his new unified Christian empire. We have to take a minute here for the Christian martyrs. These were people who went often willingly and defiantly to their deaths at the hands of the Roman persecutors. Uh, Let's get into the martyrs for a second. Stephen, the proto-martyr or first martyr, was stoned to death in Jerusalem in the first century and cried out a vision of God and the Son of Man as he died. Some scholars believe that these martyrs were an important reason, as I'm saying, why Christianity spread so effectively. Pagan Romans saw the Christians dying violently, refusing to abandon their beliefs, and proclaiming as they died that they thought maybe there's something to this Jesus thing after after all. I mean, that is pretty persuasive. Not a lot of people are willing to die for something, so it's a pretty good idea. As Christianity grew, it came to occupy a bigger and bigger role among the population. By the time Constantine rose to power, even if he didn't want to be a Christian, he would have had to find a way to make peace with the Christians in order to unify and harmonize the empire, because again, like Papa John's consumers, everybody knows one. We know one. We know one right here. I could have mentioned Chick-fil-A. There are so many brands. I can <gasps> it's all Maddie. Maddie's everybody. She's the fast food queen. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be known by that. <laughs> Going Christian was, at least in part, an advantageous political choice. That having been said, Constantine was a true believer but with a great big asterisk. Constantine's contemporary and biographer Eusebius says that the emperor recognized before his military campaign against Maxentius that others had placed their faith in many gods and failed, whereas his father Constantius placed his faith solely in his ancestral god, the god of light, or Sol Invictus. Writing to the bishops at Arles, Constantine expressed his belief that Sol Invictus, the god of the sun, was also our god, the Christian god. Mm. So Constantine is saying, the god of light, the god of the sun, equals Yahweh, or Jehovah. There's some debate over who exactly Sol Invictus is, Uh, But I want to clarify that nobody thinks it was Jehovah or Yahweh, and no one would have thought so until Constantine. The god uh, could be a traditional Roman deity going back to the dawn of the empire, or it could be the Syrian sun god Elagabalos. Elagabalos, there we go. Elagabalos. This god was brought to Rome by the emperor Antonius. Antonius called himself Elagabalus, after the god that he worshipped. They're very Elag- good at naming things, honestly. <laughs> Elagabalus worshipped Elagabalos. Oh, ah. uh, and Antonius reigned from uh, 218 to 222, so not a long time for this guy. Uh, the Syrian god was worshipped in the form of a fragment of meteorite which Antonius had brought from Syria to the Palatine Hill in Rome. The emperor himself had danced around the meteor in a rite that included orgiastic celebrations. Not very Christian. I was about God. to say that doesn't sound like Christianity. <laughs> uh, no, he was killed by the Praetorian Guard uh, once Rome's establishment had become sufficiently sick of all that weird orgy dancing he was doing around the rock hunk. <laughs> 
again, short reign. And so Antonius uh, was only indirectly the source of Constantine's father's chosen deity. The cult of Sol Invictus was revived decades later by the emperor Aurelian, who ruled from 270 to 275. Aurelian identified Sol Invictus as the central god of the Roman pantheon. The sun god became the highest god. Uh, but Aurelian's system allowed Romans to continue to worship their own gods while united under the rule of Sol Invictus, creating unity across the religious spectrum. According to scholar David Potter, in 312, Constantine regarded the sun and the Christian god as one of the, one in the same, mm. uh, which was already a feature of worship in some Christian communities in Rome. Constantine's triumphal arch was situated to align with the statue of Sol by the Colosseum, and he declared Sunday the official day of rest. Let me say that one more time. Constantine declared Sunday the official day of rest, the day of the sun. Oh, okay. I'm not trying to poke holes here or cause trouble. Constantine was a Christian convert, and I think there were politics in Sol Invictus. His father worshipped Sol Invictus, and he wanted Daddy to be, you know, part of this tradition that he was establishing. So he had to pull Sol Invictus into the mix. But he didn't. He didn't just like mention it offhandedly, or, or and he didn't you know just pretend that his dad worshipped a Christian god. Constantine actively incorporated sun worship into his concept of Christianity, which may or may not have gone all the way back to Antonius and the little meteorite hunk, the falling star, <laughs> and the orgies around the rock. I mean, there are strange connections here in Constantine's Christianity. It's nothing like what we think of you know, today, or, you know, among the Puritans or anything like that. Uh, uh, Maddie, you want to give this uh, Constantine quote a shot here? Let's hear from Constantine via uh, Mama John. <laughs> oh, Christ. my God. Mama Queen of the Jones. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like she's like a, a toilet emperor yeah, or something. I was about to say, like, sounds like a, like, portage on the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all workshops be closed. In the country, however, persons engaged in agriculture may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits, because it often happens that another day is not suitable for grain sowing or vine planting, lest by neglecting the proper moment of such operations, the bounty of heaven should be lost. Very nice. Christianity was still getting itself together in terms of doctrine when it became Rome's state religion. Arguably, the fact that it became a state religion required that internal differences of theology be ironed out. For his part, Constantine didn't seem to care much about the sides of any argument as long as the argument was resolved with everyone on the same plan. During the reign of Constantine, the Alexandrian theologian Arius articulated the idea of the supremacy of God the Father with Jesus Christ the Son subordinate to God. The Council of Nicaea in 325 declared that God and Jesus were on equal footing, but the Arians continued to flourish and were even occasionally supported by Constantine until they were finally repressed following the Council of Constantinople in 381. Arius is, in some ways, lost in the tangle of caricatures created by his opponents. He died in a latrine, or a john, which prompted critics to say that this was God's judgment on his theology. <laughs> How did he die? I, I he probably had an aneurysm or something. Oh, you know, oh, trying to poop so they'd probably whatever. be like 
God struck him down while he was in the bathroom. <laughs> On the potty, yeah. yeah. God, God thinks that all his thoughts belong in the potty. Is that what God thinks of Elvis's music, though? Ooh. I mean, that's. I feel like that's what Christians back then would probably say. That's true, yeah. In the 60s and the 70s, yeah, during the uh, Jesus movement. I music. bet a lot of those. Really? Yeah, devil music, yeah. Yeah, people hated Elvis. You oh, guys really? didn't know that? I have, I have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> yeah, they. he was like a huge... I mean, well, he was a huge deal because people loved him, but a lot of people... Like it was like almost like a satanic panic almost where they really? were like, yeah, they were like, he's the devil. And I don't know the if it was necessarily just because of his music, but because he did a lot of like gyrating when he danced too. And they were like, oh, that's so explicit. And so, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was tempting people to sin on the dance floor. Oh. Orthodox Christianity conceives of Christ as having been begotten by God outside of time. Arius acknowledged this, but argued that Christ still had to be begotten, meaning God came first. Christ became an instrument that God used for our own creation. Christ may have been the highest of creation, but was part of the created world, and his suffering happened a level removed from God the Father, who must always remain transcendent and buffered from human passions. Arius fought with his own bishop, Alexander, who held that the Son was always, or always existed, Rather, uh, that he had at one time been begotten of the father. For his part, the Emperor Constantine found the whole thing kind of silly and told them to let it go and learn to get along. (laughs) (laughs) Evangeline, read us some Constantine. It is surely not proper, nor at all lawful for so many of God's people to disagree while you argue with one another about small details and completely insignificant matters. Constantine presided over the Council of Nicaea and exiled Arius as a result of the council's decision against him. Constantine's opposition to Arius was also opposition to the bishop of uh, Nicomedia, Eusebius, uh, where his rival Licinius had retired after Constantine had defeated him. Constantine considered Eusebius a client of the tyrant Licinius, Uh, Eusebius being the religious guy, Licinius the political guy. Constantine was not especially consistent in choosing which doctrines to believe in, though. Ultimately, he readmitted the bishop and Arius and others who had been excommunicated and exiled for their heresy, although Arius died before he could be formally readmitted. Constantine was more concerned with political unity than the finer points of theology. Christianity was a means to secure harmony and peace across his empire, Mm. but the bishops needed to assure unity within the church itself. You see? But... But he didn't necessarily, like, was he sort of being like, calm down, bishops. Like, we don't, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. chill out, man. Like, whatever. God is God. Whatever. <laughs> like, you guys are getting real weed up about this stuff. You just calm the hell down. Everybody have a beer. Do we still drink beer here? Although <laughs> no, Constantine's... <laughs> no orgiastic dances, though. <laughs> yeah, no orgies, but could we keep the beer? You guys go argue about that. Let me know what you decide. <laughs> Although although Constantine's politics were distinctly Christian, it's worth noting that his court continued the usual pattern of Roman imperial intrigue. He had his own eldest son, Crispus. Crispus. (laughs) Crispus? What happened to Constantine II? Yeah, that's the thing about Crispus. So about to tell you a thing about Crispus that seems like it was inevitable from the day he was born, because Constantine named all of his children Constant something. Constantina, Constantine, like his sister's name, Constantine, his dad is Constantine, his kids are all Constantine, except for poor Crispus. Yeah. 
who he had executed. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. Constantine had his own eldest son, Crispus, executed, perhaps because he was misled by a scheme perpetrated by his wife, Fausta, who wanted to promote her biological sons over Crispus, who was not her child. Crispus was not one of Fausta's children, but a stepson born to a different woman and fathered by Constantine. Oh, so he was a Uh, bastard? uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, not necessarily. It could have been a, a previous wife. Oh, okay. So Fausta was the second wife. When her scheming was discovered, Fausta was forced to commit suicide. Wait, I, I'm telling wife? all this. Yeah, Fausta's now dead. She committed suicide. Constantine killed his own son and then uh, forced his wife to commit suicide. Wow. Jesus. The first Christian emperor. I want to say one more time. The first Christian <laughs> emperor murdered his own oldest son and forced his wife to commit suicide. Now, I understand I am no paragon of Christian values, but... I think at a baseline, when, when I try to consider what is ethical in my home, not forcing my wife to commit suicide and not murdering my children is pretty much that's the whole list. The list doesn't go much longer than that. Those are at least top choices of things I should not do every day. Agreed. But you said that's the only the only things on that list? I mean, I feel like there's other things you could add. Right, yeah, yeah, we can extend yeah. the list. Yeah, but that, <laughs> In any case, I feel like those are some of the, those are top items. Yes. That when I wake up in the morning and remind myself the things I shouldn't do. <laughs> those are probably first w- on the list. Yeah, wouldn't want to murder your own family yeah. or convince them to commit suicide. I mean, we have to think about this on the positive side. Things I should do, uh, you know, keep my children alive and uh, make my wife feel mentally sane. Yeah. Step one, step two. <laughs> in that exact order. Anyway, Fausta's dead now. This affair also speaks to Constantine's politics. Fausta, the daughter of Maximian, had been an important political union, but in Christian Rome, she became expendable, a somewhat inconvenient reminder of Constantine's involvement in the Tetrarchy, which, by the way, he destroyed and replaced with just him. Did you say that Max's daughter was named Faustantina? Did he marry... No, Max, this is Maximian, and Maximian was in the Tetrarchy, and he was he he never fought actively with Constantine. That was Maxentius and Maximinus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. Be quiet now. <laughs> in many ways, Savannah, you're the perfect person for this because you refuse to keep going until we get this shit straight. But it's almost impossible to keep straight because everyone's named Constantine or Max <laughs> or Faust. Apparently, now we have a Faust. Yeah, Fausta. Uh, so Constantine elevated his mother Helena to the role of, you know, like queen mother of, of Rome because Fausta was dead. Fausta's name along with wife were chiseled out and replaced with Helena and mother in all official Roman places where you would see the emperor. (laughs) Petty. Petty and political. This is Constantine, right? Who saw a sacred vision of God and transformed the world into a a Christian empire. Essentially, the civilized world became Christian under this man. I'm going to say this one more time because I just can't say it enough. This man who murdered his son, who forced his wife to commit suicide, replaced his wife with his mother, probably for political reasons, because his wife inconveniently reminded the Roman people that before there was one emperor, there were four, because his wife was related to Maximian, one of the four, and then had her name chiseled out of all monuments. Oof. Oof. 
This was all a bit of high-level maneuvering to secure the succession. Helena's only descendants were Constantine and his children. To make sure his half-brothers didn't vie to succeed him, Constantine had to downplay the existence of his father, Constantius. This, in turn, yielded to Constantine seemingly of a virgin birth. Just like the emperors of the Tetrarchy who styled themselves as Jupiter and Hercules, Constantine styled himself as Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Over to the entrance to the palace at Constantinople hung a portrait of Constantine with his sons, a cross over their heads and a serpent under their feet. His shrine and funerary memorial featured his own sarcophagus surrounded by 12 cenotaphs, representing and perhaps inscribed with the names of the 12 apostles. You could take the emperor out of the Tetrarchy, but you couldn't take the Tetrarchy out of the emperor. Subsequent leaders throughout history would follow Constantine's lead in identifying with Jesus and God through their rituals and iconography. Think about it. All of those Christian rulers with the crosses on their crowns and the crosses at their backs and the crosses on their knights. This begins with Constantine. Hmm. It started in pagan Rome. So there you go. That's the first Christian ruler on earth. More or less. Okay. Hey. Final thoughts on Constantine? Um, <laughs> I just... I'm getting lost in the names again. I'm just like, I wish they were better at naming things. But that's actually, it's really interesting. Because, like, at points he seems like a relatively cool dude. And then you're like, oh, but I'm going to murder and make my wife kill herself. Right. Like, so it, I, it's neat that he has this whole, like, when it comes to politics being like, yeah, let's all be cool. Let's all get along. And then in his own house, he's like, murder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, kill, kill, kill. Kind of like a false image towards the public, almost like promoting things that he can't even keep straight in his household, kind of. That's politics, man. Mm. But it is interesting. And I, I really didn't know. I really thought that the story was that he put crosses on his knights in that first battle, not that he had words on his knight's armor or whatever. Well, uh, it was Greek symbols, so the CH and the R. Yeah. Yep. But, I mean, it's, it, it amounts to the same thing. Similar idea. Yeah. The mythology always simplifies things and makes it a bit more elegant. Very cool. Evangeline, you're the, uh, as your name almost suggests, the most Christian of the crew. What uh, What are your thoughts on Constantine? I think it's very interesting. Um, just, like, the whole thing. I'm trying to, again, like, Savannah, like, it's hard to keep track of everything because all the names. I'm not good at names. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's very interesting to know where all that came from, like, started with him, some of it. Like, it's very yeah. cool. I mean, if he was just coming to church, would you have a little, you guys be like, hey, this, what's up with this guy at church? Ah. <laughs> uh, I don't think we would welcome somebody that, like, you know, convinced his wife to commit suicide. But would you know that, though? Like, I mean, like, if he just, like, walked in with, like, a beer, like, (laughs) would you be like, no? Or (laughs) Can you take a beer to church? I don't know. I don't go to church. (laughs) Well, you drink wine there, right? I know it's a very, very tiny thing, but. My sources today include David Potter's Constantine the Emperor and Raymond Van Damme's The Roman <laughs> Revolution of Constantine. Savannah, get us the hell out of here before you get us into trouble. 
I hereby. Ad- yes, yes, do it. I You've got it. I always forget how it goes. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Wait, my name is Yo. Did you pick a boon, Maddie? Oh, here you go. <laughs> good, good memory there. Go ahead, oh boon God. it up, Maddie. This is your chance. I have some ideas for you after this episode, but go ahead. Oh no, but I want to hear those. Oh, they're mostly p- pizza related, but go ahead. <laughs> You're not going to let that go. <laughs> no, um, why would I? I don't know. I mean, all I could really ask for is just like, like togetherness and community, and um, kind of shining light on all that we have that we take for granted and just overall like love and happiness it doesn't even have to be romantically it could just be an overall appreciation for everything and uh maybe not murder people <laughs> but it's got deep man that's a long boon <laughs> especially pizza, though oh my yeah, gosh <laughs> Bringing it back to the surface. Yes, I got deep, Maddie. I appreciate that. Okay, now it's officially closed. All right, then. Uh, so, uh, I'm Dr. Rob C. Thompson, your supreme hierophant of the alchemical actors, joined by Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Goodbye. And our brand new neophytes, neophytes, Evangeline Olsen and Maddie Wagner. Toodaloo. See ya. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the next episode now you gotta stay with me friends I-, I hope that you discovered that this was a whole lot more fun than you thought you thought ah oh, damn we're talking about Rome but like there were orgies around rocks and then this guy killed his son I mean it's intense so don't don't when you listen to my episodes you're like ah oh, that title I'm not get excited cause I'm gonna make this fun you only the next episode once though Rob that's a no- oh, how many orgies do we need in an episode, Savannah? I did a whole season on sex, plus, you know, half the show, if I'm being honest. There was a whole Bush campaign. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we did try to get George reelected. No, so... <laughs> what are you t- I don't know. You know. Okay. okay, some people out there got that. So, uh, we're going to talk about the Pope and the barbarians, specifically Gregory the Great or Pope Pope Gregory uh, and, and his campaign against the barbarians or the, for, for the conversion of the barbarians, uh, like the Goths, for example, Savannah. <laughs> uh, but again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun ride. Uh, really, stay with me. You're going to enjoy this. We, we got Salem coming up and uh, we've got uh, the Caribbean and Columbus. We're going to do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, so, so stay with us uh, here on Occult Confessions. Bye. Toodaloo. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.